Everything changes in today's marketplace. Technology, competition, staff, and even clients. Everyone is doing business differently than they once did. The challenge many face is keeping up with the change. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty with your host, Meredith Elliott Powell. By learning from the insights and expertise of guests like those you'll hear today, you can thrive in ways you never thought possible. Now, here is Meredith Elliott Powell. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes or what this economy does. I'm Meredith Elliott-Powell, your host, and I am excited about today's guest and our topic, the five rings, the five essential leadership traits for today's leaders. We're going to talk about that and so much more. Our guest today, I'm very excited to announce, is Jim Bouchard. He is an internationally recognized speaker, leadership activist, and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement. He provides interactive keynotes and leadership programs for corporate and conference audiences around the world. He is a seasoned media guest and appears regularly on TV and radio, including such programs as BBC Worldview and Fox News. He hosts Walking the Walk, a leadership podcast highlighting compassionate, engaged leaders from all areas of business, diverse cultures, and experiences. He is a 2004 inductee into the U.S. Martial Arts Hall of Fame and was twice featured in Inside Kung Fu Magazine. He's a volunteer mentor for incarcerated youth, an obsessive golfer, a surf guitar player, and in 2016, Jim was nominated to run for Congress. This is a man who has done it all. Welcome to the show, Jim. You make me sound really important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I've got to tell you, there is so much in your background um, and in the work that you are doing um, in that I am attracted to. I will have to tell you, I am an avid golfer, too, so we will need to um, hit the links one day together. That's a real sickness, isn't it? That's very much, that's very much a sickness. <laughs> we could talk a long time um, uh, about, about those stories. But listen, I want to go ahead and jump in because, as I said, there's so much that I'm interested in. In, um, in talking to you about, and I'm going to hit you right off with um, something I don't know if you talk about a lot, but it really struck me, given where you are now and what you are doing now, your, your background says you are a two-time college dropout and a former drug addict. And, and I, I want to start there because I love, I just love the story of the ability, um, how much ability we have within to determine where we go and what we accomplish. So being the role model that you are, talk to us a little bit about that. The, the first thing I, I like to say when people ask about that is, um, you know, it's not to glamorize it either. You know, I share my past because it shows some contrast, you know what I mean? And that we're engaged in this process of transformation, which I think is so so important these days, you know, because a lot of times, you know, look at, the, at a resume like that. You say it's a pretty lousy resume for somebody training leadership, right? But I came to find over the years that it, it turned out to be a pretty good resume. I mean, I had to learn about this process of transformation in order to survive. So who better to talk about it? But we need to, you know, embrace this process because the world is moving at such an incredible pace that if we're not, you know, if we're not engaged in the process of transformation, we're falling behind. It's that simple, Right. So at any rate, that, that's what that's all about. But please, I want to make sure people don't, you know, I, I don't like it when people glamorize that, that transition. Um, and a lot of it had to do with luck. I have to be really, really honest about that. I mean, there were a few people that showed up at the right time. There were some circumstances. I tried to take my own life purposely a couple times by accident, a couple more. And, uh, you know, so there is a lot of luck involved. Now, it's what you do with that luck going forward that's important, right? Um, because I did survive it, I had to make some decisions. And it's interesting because now I work with, with uh, incarcerated youth. And a lot, of, a lot of those kids have, you know, drugs in their background. And that's one of the questions that keeps coming up. You know, what do you want to do with your life going forward? And that's a tough question, especially for, for a kid in those circumstances. And it was a tough question for me. And it sounds, you know, as we're talking like this, you have to condense it into the 30-second version, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's funny. There, you know, people are always asking about the turning point. And there were a few of them along the way, but the point, you know, it, it took years and it's still a work in progress. I mean, seriously, you know, I love that you, you know, your focus on uncertainty because what the heck is going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. 
right? <laughs> yes. We have to be involved in constantly in this process of transforming ourselves, perfecting ourselves, making ourselves better, and really keeping our eyes, our ears, you know, our hearts and our minds open. And that's when, you know, these little, little bits of luck that drift by all of us every single day, we can either turn those into opportunities or they're regrets, right? And yeah. so... So that's that's what that process is all about. I hope that answered a little oh, bit of what you're talking no, about. No, it, it it really did, and I, I think the point is so um, is so important is that um, I I speak to to um, troubled youth a, a lot like you do, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest things that that hits me with them and something I wish I'd known in at that age is that your past does not matter, and that your future is your choice. And I think you I think your example proves such a beautiful. Um, a beautiful job of that. And I do agree with you that there's luck around us all the time. And all we've got to do is, is open the door with that. And it certainly is true in, you know, as we talk about this idea of uncertainty, one of the reasons I wanted to focus on it is because from our society standpoint, we have decided to look as uncertainty as a bad thing. Mm. You know, when I walk into companies, when I walk into corporations, I say, what's your biggest challenge? It's like, we don't know what's going to happen. Well, in all honesty, have you ever known what's going to happen in your life? So where does, um, where does leadership fit with uncertainty? Well, it's funny because uh, I think it was Pliny the Elder And I only remember Pliny the Elder in context that there was a Pliny the Younger, (laughs) 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 one of the ancient one of the ancient Greek philosophers, right? And said that the only certainty is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that sounds kind of silly on its face, but but it's very true, isn't it? We really don't know. Now we try to we try to manage that uncertainty, um, but we have to focus on what exactly can we control. Well, I can control my training and my preparation, but I certainly can't control the surety of an outcome, right? And if you do that, and that's why people, you know, highly successful people, people there, and we're going to have to, you know, define some terms. To me, leadership has nothing to do with rank, title, or a position of authority, but there are a lot of people in positions of authority that that we like to call leaders. You know, some of them are, some of them aren't, some of them are pretty lousy ones, some of them are good ones. But at any rate, those are the terms we're working with. And so people that are in leadership positions and in positions of authority operate much more effectively if they have a good grip on dealing with uncertainty, to have some comfort with it, right? And be able to be adaptable and flexible and, and comfortable with uncertainty is one of the strategies we share. And also, as people are aspiring to leadership positions, that becomes very important. One of the metrics that you'll be measured on is your ability to deal with uncertainty. And, you know, unfortunately, these days, we have at least two generations, if not three generations, that as a group, we can't identify every individual by the group. That's, that's stupid. It's prejudice. But... As a group, these trends are some, somewhat useful, somewhat informative, and they're performing at a very low level when it comes to dealing with uncertainty. They're just, just not dealing with uncertainty very well. So you have to get a grip on it. Now, that, the flip side of that is, you know, how do we prepare people for uncertainty? Yeah, sure. Uncertainty? And that goes hand in hand with our focus on the idea of courage. Um, and you notice that we focus on courage much more than confidence, and we can get into that a little bit. But right. the idea that, uh, you know, how do you, how do you help people become more courageous, more comfortable with uncertainty? Well, you have to expose them to it, right? That's it. That's the only way. There isn't any other way. And so as leaders, as you're grooming that next generation of leaders in your organization, <clears throat> you've got to be very cognizant of that. You've got to give them the opportunities, some opportunities with real risk, right, to perform at a higher level. And they may sink, they may swim, you know. And so, of course, you have to manage that risk, but they have to, they have, to have those opportunities. Otherwise, they're just going to be afraid of it. That, and that's, that's really how we crippled those, you know, at least two generations. We, we shielded them from uncertainty to such a degree that now they're just terrified of it. And well, that was going to be my question. I mean, why are, why are we in the boat we're in? And I guess it is because <laughs> as parents, we started helicoptering. Is that correct? Helicopter parent. Yeah. Now the snowplow parents, right? The uh, yeah. trophy for every, you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think you should, uh, you know, in, in the martial arts, we, well, I don't know, fortunately, unfortunately, we kind of led the way in this, that we started to recognize kids for participation. Now that's good. I mean, I really think that is good, but you have to gradiate the rewards, right? It's yes. okay to recognize somebody for participation, especially younger people, especially when you're trying to differentiate the kids that are participating from the kids sitting on the couch with their, you know, strengthening their thumbs with the video games. But, you know, that's, you need a higher level of recognition for someone who's performed at an excellent level. And so yes. that's, you know, and really, again, going back to my martial arts, it's easy to do that. Um, that's the difference between a six-foot trophy and a medal. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we don't make that differentiation anymore. 
and we're afraid to hurt the feelings. No, you don't have to hurt any feelings. You take that person um, who isn't performing that level and say, you can do better. Don't lie to them and tell them that everybody can get to the top. You know, that's just a lie. Everybody can't get to the top or won't get to the top. You know, there's only room for one at the top. <laughs> so the rest, of, the rest of us have to accept that, you know, um, improvement is really the reward. If we're getting better every day, then you know what? Generally, things are going to work out pretty well. That's what we need to focus on. We've got to stop this obsession with the top, right? Yeah, I also think we, um, I also think we underestimate the importance of, um, of progress. And, and you oh, yeah. alluded yeah. to that a minute ago. It's just that that step that you are doing better is, needs, to be, needs, to be, um, needs to be reinforced. It doesn't need a, doesn't need a <clears throat> trophy, but you know, we're, we're missing that importance of progress. It, it needs to be recognized. And I think Harvard Business Review just did an interesting, I believe it, oh, I'm sorry, I think it was on their idea cast that I heard somebody talking about that. Great podcast, by the way. But at any rate, um, you know, that idea that, you know, recognition is critical. You know, we survey leaders in our SL15 survey. And we, one of the questions we ask is, how important is recognition to you? Mm-hmm. Right? And most people say, well, it's important to some degree. Well, then don't you think it's important to the people around you? And like you said, it doesn't have to be a big trophy for everything, but recognizing people's, you know, small steps forward. And, you know, that leads us to, this is a great segue you just gave me. Because one of the, well, one of the key pieces of philosophy, that probably the greatest gift that the martial arts life gave me was th- this little bit of philosophy, that perfection is not a destination. It's a never-ending process, right? And, you know, I often share the, the image of my belt. I, I have a slide with, you know, me wearing my belt. And it's a, it's a worn-out belt. Now, this is part of the reason I share my backstory, too. Believe me, when I earned that black belt, that was the greatest day of my life. I mean, you know, that was the first time I achieved something meaningful. It was the first time I was really recognized for anything I achieved. And, uh, you know, certainly I felt a lot of gratitude that I was even still there to, to be able to enjoy that experience. But Because uh, I should have been dead or in jail many times. But anyway, when I got that belt... Um, my master gave me a present when I got back because they kind of give you a cheap belt at the ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got back, he had given me a nice heavyweight black belt. It was a deep, dark shade of black, most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. But he said, if you stay in your life as a martial artist, that thing's going to change over time. You know, you're going to tie it and untie it thousands of times, get dragged across the floor and it's sweating it, bleeding it, crying it, the whole thing. Well, it does change. It turns gray. For one thing, it fades. That happens to the best of us, right? Sure. But more important, the, the black covering wears off. And purposely underneath it exposes a core belt, which is a white belt. Now, the white belt to a martial artist is the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So it reminds us always of beginner's mind, what we call in the martial arts beginner's mind. And, and that's the true mind of the master. It means someone who, you know, embraces that beginner's process of always learning, always curious, always, you know, happy but never satisfied, always looking for a little bit more to learn, a little bit more to do, and again, perfecting or Another kind of fortune cookie we threw around is polishing the, the stone into a mirror, right? Yes. A little, little, little bit every day, a little bit every day. And that's, that's the whole joy of life, I think, is, is, and that's, I hope I always keep that mindset, you know, that perfection is not a destination. It's a never-ending process. Let's enjoy it. Well, and I think it's so important in dealing in a world um, of uncertainty because I think one of the biggest challenges people face is the fact that you had this process, you had this plan, it worked mm-hmm. perfectly, and then yeah. the world shifted around you and you've yeah. got to, in essence, you know, you know st- start over, correct? So, oh, you, you hit getting, it right on getting, the head. You yeah, know, getting that comfortable yeah. with that. No, and especially for leaders, especially for leaders who have attained high positions of authority. Because a lot of times, and when we're doing executive sessions, you know, we're allowing, allowing these people who really can't, you know, don't feel they can show a lot of themselves in public, right? All of a sudden, you get them in a room together where they're, I hate to use this word, safe space, but yeah. <laughs> using it in the proper way. Um, they can talk and share and talk as human beings. And you realize that, you know, these are the, some of the things that, that they're worried about. You know, how do I, if I, if I'm learning, if I show that I'm learning something that I don't know everything, is that a sign of weakness? For God's sake, no. You have to keep perfecting yourself. You don't want to stop ever, 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 right? That's, again, that's the mind of the true master. We're never, we're always a work in progress. We're never finished. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, something, um, we've, we've got about, uh, I don't know, maybe about a minute and a half before we, before we head to the first break. And, you know, something that we were talking about a minute ago, and that is the fact that we've got to get, we've got to get these generations um, 
uh, prepared. Not only do we have mm. parents who have created snowflakes and we've got helicopters and we've got all that, but I think that 2008 did another thing. And that is that a lot of boomers who were set to retire <laughs> yeah. came back in and held on to their companies with every, every piece of grit and employees were just trying not to get fired, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, what is, give, us, give us just one step, take us into the tease of something we can do as a leader to begin to get, our, to get our people comfortable with uncertainty. Again, you know, it goes right back to exposing them to it. And it's the idea, you know, some, so many people think leaders need to know all the answers. Well, leaders need to know damn few of the answers. They need to know how to formulate the right questions. So maybe that's a good place to pick up after the break because, you know, what questions do we ask? in order to prepare not only other people, but we have to constantly prepare ourselves for, for the unknown, right? For the uncertainty that's, that we're going to face ahead of us. So, um, but we know for sure we're going to face it, <laughs> that's a, right? Anybody who thinks otherwise is kind of fooling themselves, but you're right. And, and situations, believe me, I laughed when you said 2008, because I remember, well, thank goodness we went through all that hardship because that helped us on, launch the uh, Sensei Leader Movement and the mission we're on now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. When, when we come back from break, we are going to pick up um, uh, right there. We are in a fascinating conversation with Jim Bouchard about what we need to do from a leadership perspective to get our employees comfortable, not only comfortable, but really taking advantage of this new atmosphere we are living in. And that is the age of uncertainty. So we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. Welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter what this marketplace does. I'm Meredith Elliott Powell, your host for the day, and I am lucky enough to be speaking with um, our guest, Jim Bouchard. And Jim, I want to jump right back into um, this conversation that we are having and talk a little bit about your, um, your leadership movement. Tell our listeners about, I love the fact that it is not just an idea, it is not just a strategy, but you have created a movement. Isn't that funny how that happens? Yeah. <laughs> it started as an idea, and then we realized that the whole, you know, the, the reason we call it a movement is because we realized the way people were responding to it, and that there was a real need for a focus on the human-centric aspects of, of leadership. There, there are plenty of people around that focus on management, Right. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Don't get me wrong. It's important, but it's not leadership. These are two different skill sets. They, they require two different approaches. And it's nice when you have both embodied in the same person, but let's face it, it's not always true. You know, for one thing, we, we, all organizations, right, if you look, take a look, don't you have great leaders right on your front lines? And they have little or no authority at all, right? And yeah, let's face absolutely. it, there's plenty of people, a lot of power and authority that are just lousy leaders. They, they don't have the 
genuine ability to rally willing followers behind them, right? Which is our definition of leader. But yeah, it became a movement because they said more people were embracing it. And we said, well, it's not enough just to call it a program. It's nice to go out and do workshops and all that stuff, but we want people engaged. We're developing really the mission of, of Sensei Leader Movement is to create a network of, to support and develop uh, human-centric leaders all over the world. And, and we're growing. So that's kind of cool. That's, a, that's really gratifying. The so where did you where did you come up with um, you know the idea the need I mean what sort of give us a little bit of the history and the backstory. Well, you said two thousand and eight, right? We were still in the brick and mortars martial arts business in two thousand and eight, <laughs> and added to the recession that which gave a natural pinch to all businesses, right? Uh, we we were heavily dependent on a local naval air station, which got on the brack list and was closing. So, oh, wow. so two years in a row, we lost 40% of our membership. We were very, very vested in that. In the, and we missed those folks. They were really great folks. Um, but that's what, you know, the, these things happen. Like you said, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can plan for it. We had, we had a clear plan because we were told it was going to take two to three years for the base to shut down. Mm-hmm. And then that process was accelerated and you had no control over that. And when it was accelerated, well, people had to respond. We had to respond. Now, fortunately at that time, people were, and, and Pardon my, I'll try to keep this family friendly, but uh, some of my students, adult students that were in business, you know, kept telling me over the years uh, that, you know, this, they used a little more glamorous term, but the philosophy that I was sharing with them, which was always more important to me because the martial arts was really a huge part of my drug recovery. So the philosophy was always much more important than the physicality, as much fun as the physicality is. So anyway, to share these ideas with people in, in real life, just, you know, not, not just inside the dojo. Um, because people could make use of these, whether they wanted to kick or punch or get thrown around a room. And that started to take hold. So the more I did it, the more people asked me to come out and share these ideas. And that's really how the, the Sensei Leader Movement started to, started to grow. And fortunately, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, I've, got a pretty, uh, I've got a pretty nice life for myself. I'm just, I'm just teaching martial arts to uh, business people, really, is what happens, and, and leaders. And so I'm not really doing anything too, too different, but... Uh, well, I do get to do a lot more reading these days, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, just taking it, uh, just taking it um, out, up, 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 up onto the um, uh, up onto the stage. Right? Isn't it a shame that so many people kept these things secret for so long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, I, I'm I'm old enough that I was that I was really raised that personal life was personal life and business mm-hmm. life was business life. And oh, I, my, the older I get is yeah. the lessons of my personal life are the lessons that I you know that I exactly. Um, that I exactly need need and right. more that more than we can weave those things together, the uh, you know the stronger we're going to be. The illusion of dualism. I'm I'm thinking about my one of my masters, one of my the greatest teachers that I've ever uh, been been had the pleasure to study under is Master Yang, uh, Doctor Yang Zhuang Ming. His doctorate's not a uh, martial arts degree, by the way. He's an electronics uh, engineer. Really interesting man. And he kept talking. You know, there's that beautiful symbol, the Yin and the Yang. You know, the Tai Chi symbol. Sure. And uh, really fascinating because it talks about the illusion of dualism that personal life and business life are separate. Oh yeah. Haven't you taken a lousy day from, from home into the office with you or vice versa? Right. right, right. So these things affect you. And of course, now we know about the, the real effects of stress. You know, if, if you're not in a, in a good work environment that you're causing yourself serious health damage and that affects you, your family, your community, the people around you. So, no, no, that, that's an illusion because, we, you know, we have the way Dr. Young explained it in very simple terms because human beings have limited perceptions, right? Right. And so we tend to see things in those areas, black and white, up and down, left and right. Um, but that's really just part of the picture. And you notice that symbol always looks like it's kind of moving, right? Yes. And that's intentional. It was the original, the way I understand it, was based on uh, the, the fish in the koi pond, right? One, they were tightly packed together. One would move, the other would take its place. And that was how they, they decided to represent the reality of life. It's a dynamic thing, right? It's not static at all. We're going to drift way off into philosophy, which I love to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's the, the functional part of it. What we need to understand is that things are always in motion, that we're back to that idea of that process of transformation again. And how do we embrace that? How do we go along for the ride? And most of the time, hopefully, go with the flow instead of against it, right? Yeah, Dina. Yeah, I mean, but it does feel like um, it does feel like the uncertainty is mm-hmm. is greater than um, than it's than it's ever been. Do you think that's um, 
real or do you think that that's maybe just an illusion or maybe something that we get so much more news and we're just inundated with information that it just feels that way? I mean, I was just reading an article this morning and it was going back through, you know, the, the change from the agricultural age into the industrial yeah. age and how many jobs were lost. And, you know, so I, I do wonder, is it, is it something that we've kind of manifested or is it on steroids? Is it, is it more uncertainty than we've ever known? That, that's interesting because that's a question I keep asking myself, yeah. right? Is, is it really? No, I, I'm going to give you, you know, from experience, but, you know, kind of a personal opinion about that. Uh, no, I think we manufacture a lot of it. And, you know, you think about, you, you, you just asked the right questions. Can you imagine living, you know, we don't, we're, we're drowning in abundance. We don't even know we have it, right? And so you look back 100 years even, 200 years, uh, and you mentioned the, the agrarian society, right? Imagine the farmers, and this, that's part of my heritage on my father's side. You know, those, those people didn't know if it was going to rain. They didn't have, right? they didn't have forecasts. And they were quite surprised when all of a sudden they were in the middle of a drought and they couldn't produce enough food to feed themselves to eat, you know? So did they deal with more or less uncertainty than we did? I think we pretty much human beings deal with about the same level. Um, and you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, the, the level of uh, media that we're exposed to, right? We're bombarded with the idea that we should be in catastrophic mode all the time, right? Right. And we, and we take and we could, what's the, uh, in fact, in psychology, there's the ca- catastrophe fallacy, right? Mm-hmm that we tend to gravitate towards that feeling of panic and anxiety. I don't know why, but, but we, too, we do seem to embrace that, especially when we're pounded over it 24-7 with you know, social media and, and cable news. Um, but are things worse than they were? Nah, you know, if anything, we probably have a little more certainty. But then, of course, I say that, and then we'll see something about the asteroid that's coming. <laughs> and we know about it. So we go, oh, my God, right? The monster is always bigger in the, in the closet than it is out in the open. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, weather is such a great example. I think of all the times that, um, you know, that, that, you know, we, they're predicting something and, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't happen. And, and which, brings, which brings up an important point. I mean, and it's leaders in our own businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think about the news, when I think about the information that I get from social media, most of it is based on what could happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than me focusing on presence and where I am and what I can, um, right. mm-hmm. what I can control. There so, you go. Yeah. So, so as a business owner, I mean, talk a little bit um, about that. I mean, certainly there are a million things that we could be that we could be worried about that could blow up in our face. At the same time, they may not. What do I need to back up if I am a leader, if I'm a business owner, if I, um, you know, run a small shop? Where should I be focusing my time and my energy? And you just hit it right out of the park because it's interesting. There's things we can control and there's things we can't. And again, great gift from the martial arts. I'm so, I, I keep saying it, but I'm so blessed that these ideas came from that training and they apply so well in the real world. You know, there are a lot of things we can't control. All we can control is our response to these circumstances and conditions. We can prepare. We can train. That we certainly have control over, right? What actually happens in the fight? Well, you know, that there are a lot of variables that happen. And so you asked the right question. And it's interesting because sometimes it's when we start our executive session, especially when we're doing more of a kind of a workshop or retreat type of thing and give folks some time to think, right? We ask some pretty stupid questions. You know, at, least they, <laughs> at least they sound stupid when, you, when you, you know, I first say them, but you know, give it some time. What can we control? That's one of the primary questions we have to ask ourselves all the time. What can I control? Look in the mirror and be real honest about that because sometimes we think we're controlling something, right? Because right. we move the pieces a little bit, but we're, we're not really controlling the outcome. We're just shifting the conditions a little bit. Um, but that's a real true thing that we have to look at. What, what can I control? What do I have? What resources do I have? Emotionally, spiritually, and materially. And we can dig into that a little bit if you want to. And, yeah, then, anal- not, right, and then analyze that and say, now let's start from there. Let's start with those things that we, we can control. And you certainly can't control people leaders. That's one <laughs> big <laughs> myths, right? We're not controlling people. We're leading people. You control machines, right? <clears throat> Processes. Let's, try, let's do, um, talk a little bit about the questions and, and, and what you focus on. And I am assuming these are questions that you not only ask yourself as a leader, but they're, they're ways you engage and lead your people. Would that be correct? Well, you know, it's all about being a human being, right? You know, we know, I mean, the research is bomb proof on this. And, and uh, 
you know, I say this in every presentation, uh, people perform at their best when and only when, first of all, they know their leaders care, right? Yeah. When their work has meaning and when they have a chance to learn, to grow and develop. These are the things, and don't believe me, I mean, this, like I said, this is the research. Dan Pink uh, did a lot of research in these areas, Simon Sinek, you know, these folks. Uh, and, and like I said, it's bomb-proof, and it's all over the world. People feel the same way. These are the things, these are the conditions people are looking, you know, they, they need in order to perform optimally. So as leaders, really, we're trying to, you know, like our, our tagline says, inspire, empower, and guide people to the, to, as best we can to these conditions. So now we're back to asking the right questions, right? What can I do? How can I create this environment where people do feel that, you know, that I earn their respect, their trust, and their loyalty for one thing, right? that I'm empowering them, I'm, I'm providing the resources, so I have to ask myself, what resources do these people need in order to perform optimally, right? And then how do I best guide them? How do I best provide, you know, my input to help them perform at their best? And that's it, right? Isn't that what we're trying to do, get everybody working in the same direction? It, absolutely, and I think for the, um, I think one of the biggest things that leaders have, have got to understand that really shifted post-2008, I mean, it, it was always this way, but it's more important than ever, is that you really need good people more than they need you, and that, um, <laughs> you know, and, and to get yeah. that concept in your head, I mean, after 2008, the whole world tilted, and the customer and the employee moved into control. You can find people to work, but finding really good people who are passionate and who care is on is on the shoulders of the of the leader. Would you agree? Hey, look, you know the age of command and control is dead. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. If it ever really existed, I mean, yes. we trace it back. And I know you keep bringing up two thousand eight, but where did that whole idea start? And to me, in my research, I keep finding the industrial revolution. You yeah, know? when people were basically an extension of machines, and it was it's still left over. Let's face it. I mean, we have sixty thousand years some out of uh, human development. And most of that time, we were in some sort of master and subject relationship, right? We were subjects to some sort of authority, the king, the queen, you know, the emperor, whatever. And all of a sudden, in the last couple hundred years, we turned that upside down. <laughs> right. Now, the human instinct has always been toward freedom. And most people, even under the thumb, right, had to operate independently in order to survive, right? The king wasn't putting food on the plate. But you know, we, we have mentally shifted a lot in the last few years. Now, I agree with you. Yeah, since 2008, people really freaked out because, you know, they said, hey, I don't want to live like this anymore, right? As long as uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with my company, my organization, things that we counted on all of a sudden right. going under. Um, I think no, not so much an evolution. People return to that idea, right? That I, I'm, as an independent person, I'm responsible for my own care and safety. Now, so you're exactly right. As leaders... How do we get those people engaged, right? How do we get into, well, to me, that's a great blessing because isn't that the kind of, like I said, command and control is dead. You want people around that can't think for themselves, right? Or do you want leaders at all levels of your organization, people who see what needs doing and they do it, people who are innovative, creative, right? Um, people who are self-directed, self-motivated, want to go the extra mile. So that's the kind of person that we're looking for. Now, how do you, how do you attract them? How do you keep them? Well, that's why we focus on human-centric leader. If you want to be, right, we go back to what people want. They want to know, number one, that leaders care about them. Right. The Gallup poll indicates, you know, one of those five factors, compassion, trust, hope. Where's money in that? Right. <laughs> right. You know, the, the money's a factor. Let's not be naive about it. But once your basic needs are satisfied, right, isn't Dan Aureli and these guys showing that once your basic needs are satisfied, trying to engage or motivate people with material rewards falls off pretty quickly, you see? Yeah. So it's a matter of if you want to be a better leader, be more human. It's that simple. So a lot of the questions you asked about the questions, they're really designed to get, get us to look inside, get us to look in that mirror, get us to reflect back and look inside of ourselves. How can I be a better human being to the people around us? It's that simple. The rest of it is process. So, you know, if, if we can do that, we'll, we'll, we will engage people because the rest of the time we're scaring them away, aren't we? Isn't it funny that the researchers show that? I hate it when I, when I read this and I read it over and over again, that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers, people, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, duh, yeah. you know, and so you said, no, no, Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, I love to quote Lao Tzu, 2,500 years ago. This is not rocket surgery. It's not new. He said, when the people are not in awe of your majesty, then great majesty has been achieved. What's he trying to tell us, you know? I mean, let's be more humble. Let's be more humility. Let's embrace humility. Let's be more human. So, 
Yeah, definitely be more vulnerable. Jim, when we come back in the next segment, I want to dive a little bit more into um, into this idea of what we need our employees to do and how we, um, how, we, how we create that. We're going to take a break right now, but you really hit on something in just what you were covering, and I, I want, to jump, uh, want to jump back into that. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with our guest, Jim Bruchard. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in our innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. Welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes or what this economy does. And we are in the middle of a really interesting conversation about um, leadership and really what it takes to lead in the age of uncertainty with our guest, Jim Bruchard. Jim, in the last segment, you were talking about the fact of that as leaders, we want to attract employees who are self-directive, employees who are innovative, who are creative. And, and once again, I'm really struck by how important that is in today's marketplace. I've been doing um, a lot of work in this idea of, of cultures that um, companies that are starting to use a lot of, um, a lot of art, artificial intelligence. And mm. as they use artificial intelligence, one of the greatest quotes that I have read around um, artificial intelligence is that artificial intelligence is unbelievable technology, but making it successful is still a human task. And I, I, I love that quote because what that has done is artificial intelligence is amazing and it has come in and replaced a lot of the repetitive tasks in our, um, in our organizations. But now we need our employees that we have asked for so long to be task focused. What we really need from them and we desperately need it is for them to be creative innovative, um, show empathy, be problem solving, all those things that AI will, I don't care what the um, nerdy techs say, it's never really going to be able um, uh, to do. So talk a little bit about, you know, from a leader's perspective, you've led these people, they've been task focused, they've been putting widgets in a hole, and now we have a whole new expectation of them. What a dangerous irony. And of course, <laughs> right, and we talked, right, you talked about the generations where we crippled at least two generations yeah. right, uh, from their ability to be able to, to, like you said, think outside of a task and problem solve and operate independently without turning constantly to authority, right? And at the same time, now AI comes along. And it's not just that we want people to do this, it's that people need to do this. And I'm, and I'm not even talking about it from the perspective of an authority within an organization. As individuals, right, if we don't embrace this idea, if, if we don't say, look, I need a new set of skills to operate in this new age, then people are going to be in serious trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what you said, you know, that idea, it, no matter what, artificial intelligence, the key word is always going to be artificial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. A, 
it's a copy of what we're and a bad copy. I mean, you know, it can do a lot of things well. It's not going to do certain things at all. And that's where we keep going back. But, you know, it's hidden in there, if I'm reading this right, um, there's that ROI question there. Yes. You know, how do, what do I get out of this? You know, if I start to invest in, in the humanity of people and, and in the leadership humanity of people at all levels, and I really mean that at all levels, because that's what we're talking about. If you want people to be engaged, then you have to give them the opportunity to self-lead and to lead peers. And that's, that ties in nicely, right? And, and God, why do we're so addicted to complexity? We always have to come up with some new name for something. <laughs> you know, these ideas of design management, right? Design theory and all these different things. And I'm not disparaging that. It's cool that you they have those labels. Um, but really, what are they talking about? They're talking about creating an environment where people will be in, not, not that you're making them engage. Stop that. Right? You can't right. make people be engaged. You provide the right in- environment and people will be engaged. You provide those conditions we keep going back to. It's so freaking simple. So when people ask about the ROI, you know, what, what do I get if I invest in this type of leadership training? Well, I wrote an article, pardon my French, that I said, screw the ROI. <laughs> and, right? Because we're too focused. The bottom line stuff is there. The data is there. I think Daniel Goleman did some great work that said that companies that involve themselves in this type of, of leadership, uh, human-centric, what we're calling human-centric leadership, you know, to, to accomplish these things we talked about before, leaders need emotional intelligence, right? Which is the term Daniel Goleman coined. They need strong interpersonal skills more than ever, and an accurate sense of self-awareness. We need to know, you know, how people are responding to our leadership at any given time. And that's, that's exactly what we call a human-centric leader. And the blessing is, in the dojo, we call that person a sensei, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. So it's about creating those conditions. And the rest of it, and this is the hard part, the hard part is the inspire part. You know, how do you inspire people? How do you give them something... That, that, you know, an, an image that they can aspire toward. And for God's sake, you got to lead by example, right? Yeah. If you want people to be engaged, and I can't tell you how many times, again, we, you know, that, that uh, executive uh, retreat can sometimes turn into a cry room, right? And I understand, and, and it's good because people suddenly realize, well, geez, I wasn't, you know, I'm not inspiring anybody. I'm not providing, I'm not modeling the behavior I expect from others. I got lost in the process. And see, it's not that people are bad people or leaders are bad, you know, people. It's that we get lost. We're so, we're so immersed in this complexity that we forget the basics. And that's human nature. And again, great imprint from martial arts. Uh, I met this guy, Master Yamazaki. Great story. He, he was a sword master from Japan. He taught the, his family taught the imperial family there, and which they take it pretty seriously, the sword thing, you know? Yes. And, and, <laughs> they and he, do. Right? And he told this little story. He told it mostly through an interpreter because he didn't speak English too well. But um, he's a master and a student. Student comes to the master. I want to be a sword master too. He says, great, three steps. First one, basic practice. Go away. He practices for a couple of years, comes back. What's the second step? Basic practice. Go away. A couple more years, he says, okay, master, I'm ready for the third step. I want to be a master. Master Yamazaki all of a sudden got his English on. And please, I don't do this disrespectfully, but I'm not very good with impersonations. <laughs> he said, he gets, gets his English going. He says, he says, third step, more basic practice. Like a <laughs> Nike, just do it. Right? And, and that's the key to everything. I mean, you know, yeah. so many people look at martial arts. They look at all the complex moves. Well, all those complex moves are what? They're... They're expressions of the basics. If you can't kick, if you can't punch, if you can't stand, then you can't do any of the complicated things. As a leader, if you can't earn the respect, trust, and loyalty of the people you serve, then what the hell can you accomplish without those things, right? So so that's your ROI. If you invest in this type of training, right, if you pay attention to what we're saying, you will earn the respect, trust, and loyalty of the people you serve. You will inspire them. Now, stop worrying about, I think Daniel Goleman said, an organization that does that kind of thing and invests in character as well, right? Um, they'll return five to 700 times what their competitors who don't invest in this will do, right? That's pretty impressive. But to me, I looked at that and I said, that's it? Right? <laughs> I said, I said don't, don't set a limit on it, right? You don't know what you're going to accomplish if you do this, but you sure as hell know what, you, what, what happens if you don't. Because you look at some of the great disasters that have happened over the last few years. Let's start with Enron, right? Right. Look at what's happening. We're studying a lot about what ha- what's happening at Wells Fargo right now. What's happening with Volkswagen with the emissions scandal. Mm-hmm. These are human-centric leadership failures is exactly what they are. Has nothing to do with process. 
has little to do with management. Management is just the manifestation of that leadership, right, behind it. And uh, it's it's human-centric stuff. Human beings failed. They let the, they, and in that case, they failed to be the, the model, the example that they would expect from, from other people. And look what happens. <laughs> that yeah. disaster happened. You know, talk about the cost. You fail to invest in it. Look how much it costs, and it costs quickly. Yeah, I was thinking about, I've been watching the news over the weekend about, um, about Boeing, and that's such an, another great example of they just keep having one incident right after, um, right after another, and it all comes down to human error. And I think that, I think that human, it's, it's almost has higher stakes now because we have, because we do have, um, you know, so much automated that, there, that there's more need for critical thinking. There's more need right. for ownership. There's more need for passion. And then add to that, that anything you do well or anything you do wrong is going to be communicated on steroids because yeah, of the yeah. hyper-connected world in which we live in. So I would say it's even more important than it's been in the past. No, you hit it again because the errors are amplified. Yeah. Now with Boeing, I, I, I'm not sure yet. I, I'm still taking a look at that because I don't know if there's a systemic, <coughs> excuse me, leadership failure there. There were errors that were amplified, but I still ha- I haven't found at least you know yet um, that there were human beings that made decisions that took them away from their humanity. But you take that environment, the Wells Fargo incident, where they were um, opening cr- uh, checking accounts for people who didn't authorize them, right? Right. But look at the environment. A choice was made. The priority became we will open X amount of checking accounts in this quarter, in this year, right? right? And you put good people in that bad situation. What are they going to do? You know, everybody likes to think they're going to do the right. We all like to think we're going to do the right thing, but the science is against us. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You look at the Stanford prison experiments, the great work of Philip Zimbardo. Um, you know, before that, Milgram with the Milgram experiments. No, no, most of us are going to throw the switch on our friend, <laughs> given the right circumstances. And so that's what happened. These leaders put people in very, very bad circumstances, and they made a conscious decision to do so. So really, that's what we're talking about. But you're absolutely right. If there are errors, it, first of all, if there's a lack of character like that situation, it's amplified. And artificial intelligence is going to amplify these errors even more. So it's bad enough that we just have the natural errors that occur. Yeah. Even, wor- even worse when we have human beings deciding, you know, deciding to put people in bad situations for their, own, for their own gain really is what happens, right? Yeah, and I think as leaders, we have to be careful as to the message, the message that we're sending, the message that, the message that we're sending about um, the right thing to do. I mean, Amen. you know, I mean, you, you have the moral in the society right thing to do, but there's also, if I am being, you know, it depends on how people interpret it. If I am being told this is my job and this is mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to do and this is, then I'm sending the message that that is the right thing. I think that leaders underestimate how powerful the words are that come out of their mouths. Isn't that real? Because that's one of, again, that's one of our SL15 questions. Is doing the right thing always the most important consideration? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these aren't right or wrong answers. They're just, it's not a scientific assessment. It's it's intended, it's designed to instigate thinking, right? Yeah. And that's what happens. I want to know, because one of the answers is there are exceptions to the rule. And that's the one I'm most interested in. Because when people answer, well, what are the exceptions? And you just, you know, you just cited some of them. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the, the policy of an organization conflicts with, let's say, the, what's best for the customer. Mm-hmm. Certainly that happened with, well, with Wells Fargo in that specific instance, right? Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, more of a, it's more of a profound effect. With the Volkswagen emissions scandal, you know, what, their, their decisions and their mendacity affected all of us right? Because we didn't want that level of pollution, you see? So, it, 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 you know, the harm that was done went well outside their organization. So, interesting. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we are just living in a world now where, um, where leadership is more important than ever. And the, the you know, the, the gist I think that is fascinating is that in a world that has become more complicated, mm. you have said repeatedly, it is just back to the basics. Got to. That's not e- that's simple, not easy though. Right? <laughs> it's not easy. And you know, and let's and I have to say one I have a disclaimer, you know. I'm not preaching from the mountain, I'm preaching from the gully, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, these are things I've recognized in fact, one of the challenges people will say is, "Oh, Jim, you're such a peaceful guy." I said, "No, I am a horribly violent person." <laughs> no. <laughs> My recognition of that keeps me in check. 
right? We have to look at ourselves very, that's why I said accurate sense of self-perfection. And leaders, you know, the research is clear on this too. Leaders tend to inflate the posit- their positive qualities and subvert the negative ones when they're asked about themselves, right? When they do assessments. Yeah. And that's, that's very, but the best leaders, the best leaders are always the ones that rate themselves lower than, mm-hmm. right, than the 360 will. And that's a really interesting thing. So we've got to understand our own weaknesses. We've got to embrace our weaknesses, right? And, and it all goes back to that sense of humility. Mm-hmm. When the people are not in awe of our majesty, that's when great majesty has been achieved. So that's a, that's a cool thing to think about. But it's not easy. I mean, you know, it's hard for us to look in the mirror and say, geez, you know, I suck today. <laughs> but, but it's a healthy thing, provided we keep it in perspective. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Well, Jim, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I feel like we have just uh, scratched the surface. So I hope that you will agree to come back on um, to our show and talk even deeper about what I think is such an important subject. But give our um, listeners a, a, an idea about where they can get a hold of you, how they can find out more about you, and definitely mention your podcast as well. You know, I'd love, and in fact, I know we're, we're getting ready to have you on, on Walking the Walk as well because, yeah, we definitely want to hear more about what you're doing. I think we have a lot of work to do together, huh? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, um, the best way, the senseileader.com. Just come on there, and I, I still think we're giving away. If people, all you got to do to get involved in the movement is go there and sign up. Um, there's no cost. If you want to get involved deeper, you want workshops for your organization, whatnot, we can talk about that. But just just come and sign up, uh, and you'll get a free ebook edition of the uh, of the Sensei Leader as well when you sign up. Well, um, you have been a fantastic uh, guest. It's been a really interesting conversation, and I really encourage my listeners to um, to sign up to get involved and um, and to learn more about this movement and about Jim um, Prejard. Again, I want to thank you, Jim, for a fantastic show. I learned a lot, and I hope you did too. Remember to stay connected or find out more information. Please feel free to contact to contact Jim at Sensei Leader. Is it Sensei Leader? Senseileader.com? Senseileader.com. And Meredith, thank you so much. You, you are a sensei leader in every, every <laughs> step of the word that we, we like to express. So. Well, thank you. It, is, it really has been an enjoyable conversation, and I really look, to, I look forward to talking more. So remember, audience, to share the show with your team members and friends and connect with me on social media. I would love to engage with you, hear your questions, and get your input for guests and show topics. So thank you again for joining us for Thriving in Uncertainty, the show that delivers the strategies you need to turn uncertainty into your greatest competitive advantage. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Thriving in Uncertainty. Please join your host, Meredith Elliott Powell, for another program next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, embrace the change in your business and yourself. 